That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello and welcome to the 2023 college football season. You are listening to Wannabe Walk-Ons, a Nebraska football and craft beer fan podcast, the official podcast of the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild and a proud member of the Herd At Sports Network. I'm Ben and I'm joined as always by my good friend and co-host, Drew. Thanks, Ben, and thank you all for joining us. For those new to the show, each episode, Ben and I will sample craft beer, mostly local, some beyond, while sharing our unique brand of Husker football insight. We encourage you to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at Wannabe Walk-Ons for the most up-to-date show information. And please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform, or listen to each episode on wannabewalkons.com. On this week's episode, Drew and I are live at Hale Varsity Club in La Vista, Nebraska, pretending not to be nervous to preview Nebraska's 2023 non-conference opponents and profile Kincader Brewing Company in Broken Bow, Nebraska. I'm Ben. And I'm Drew. And this is Wannabe Walk-Ons. So Drew, how are, you, how are you feeling right now? You are sitting in Damon Benning's chair. Yeah, that's a weird feeling and undeserved entirely, um, but it's good. It's yeah. fun. Yeah, I'm just pretending like um, it's not live and we're just sitting here having a conversation about in, Nebraska football. In front of thousands beers. of people. It's insane how many people showed there's up so tonight. many You people. can hear them, yeah, they're... You can, you can hear, <laughs> there's, there's literally tens of them. People I've never tens. met before, too, just complete strangers walking in off the street. It's so. incredible the impact that we have uh, <laughs> to be able to pull this. You know, speaking of impact, um, some people may not know uh, the way that we lay out our show. There's a pretty in-depth outline. There's, there's too much paperwork that gets printed off, some would say. Yes. You would say. Yeah, a lot of forests have gone by the wayside due to our show. Absolutely. Well worth it. But in the outline, we, we have a section right after the theme song, and it's called Bullshit, which mm-hmm. is... What Mostly what the show is. <laughs> yeah, that's the yeah. end of the outline. Um, but, but I always have a hard time thinking, like, what, what, what are we going to do for that section? And, and I kind of pondered over that, and I thought I should do something special for the live show. So I, I brought a hat. Okay. Okay. Uh, and, and this hat is a beef jerky hat, obviously an NIL deal for uh, Cam Jurgens. And I bought one of those hats, and, and I actually have a Cam Jurgens story, and I thought I might, might tell that story during this BS section. Awesome. I'd love to hear it. And, and, and this is more of just a, a thank you. The other weekend I was uh, out golfing at an unnamed golf course. I don't want to give it away, uh, the kind of access I have to golf courses. <laughs> and um, 
as I was coming down one of the fairways, there was a golf cart coming the other direction, and I saw this red-haired, mustachioed man, and it was Cam Jurgens. And I just, if he's listening, I want to give a thank you to Cam uh, for not bombarding me with a photograph request or an autograph request. Very humble. And yeah. just letting me keep going with, with my golf game, you know. Um, I, I know that, I mean, it's not ever happened before because of this podcast, but I'm sure that if it did, it'd be very annoying. <laughs> and so I'm just very grateful that Cam showed restraint uh, and just kind of went on his way. We gave the farmer wave to one another, something that he has earned and I have not. Uh, Good on so, him. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so that concludes nice. the BS portion of <laughs> I've of, got no celebrity encounters recently. So awesome. nothing to contribute there, but that's, yeah. You know what you did encounter, though? that I do know, uh, is that you encountered a celebrity of a baseball stadium recently on a family vacation. Yeah, out in Fayetteville. Yeah. Yeah, Arkansas has a gloriously beautiful baseball stadium. Too bad it's wasted on that sport. (laughs) Get out of here. They also have a hodgepodge football stadium. If you, it's just randomly pieced together. Like you can tell like decade by decade where their expansion projects were. so, but yeah, but Fayette, well, I visited Fayetteville and got to check out a little bit of the sights of, uh, of what they had in store down there. So, Did you drink any uh, good beer while you were in Fayetteville? I did, actually. Yeah, we hit up a few breweries. Um, probably my favorite one was uh, West Mountain. They had a really good English mild on nice. tap. Yeah. Very so, cool. It was great. Well, that's what we in the business call a segue, and I think it's time to start talking about Kincaid Brewing Company, which is our featured uh, brewery for this, uh, this episode, and I've got a little, uh, little to-do about them. Awesome. If you don't mind, I'd yeah. like to uh, regale you the tale of Kinkata Brewing Company. So to track Kinkata Brewing Company's inception, we must first rewind to 2006, the year I graduated high school, a time when I had no idea what beer tasted like. <laughs> Nate Bell and Dan Hodges began it. Oh, that got a laugh. Man, we are cooking. Here we go. (laughs) Nate Bell and Dan Hodges began a home brewing club. Cody Schmick, one of the club's regular attendees, noticed that Nate and Dan's home brews were consistently outperforming and outtasting the commercially available beer they were sharing with the group. Cody encouraged the two home brewers to start a brewery with him, and the trio felt like Broken Bow would be the perfect place to stake their claim. While searching for a spot to call their own, they came across a pumpkin patch owned by Barry Fox. Barry's pumpkin patch was only really used one month out of the year, and the guys found it to be the right fit for their operation. The uniqueness of the country setting was ideal for the brewery, and it gave them plenty of space to not only brew beer, but to welcome in weary travelers for a sip of the good stuff. After a fair amount of construction and well drilling, the brewery opened its doors in December of 2014. Just as important as finding the land was naming the brewery. For that, the team turned to Nebraska's congressional history, specifically the Kincaid Act, of 1904. Under the Kincaid Act, 640 acres or one square mile of federal land in Nebraska could be acquired free of charge apart from the $14 filing fee. Do you have a guess as to how much $14 was like then to now? Like $28? (laughs) No, it's $435, but it's still... It's like a decent amount, but for land. For land? (laughs) I don't think that... I mean, I'd take that deal. The act was sponsored... I wouldn't take that deal because then I would have to make that land into something. Like a pumpkin patch. My hands are so soft. And yeah. The act was sponsored by Congressman Moses Kincaid with the hopes of increasing the number of settlements in the northwestern portion of Nebraska. The settlers taking advantage of the act came to be known as? Settlers. Kincaiders. Kincaiders. (laughs) Fast forward nine years and Kincaider Brewing Company is one of the most prolific breweries in the state of Nebraska. They're known for such beers as Dan the Weiser Kolsch and Devil's Gap Jalapeno Ale where locally grown jalapenos add a delightful kick to the craft ale. 
And every winter, Nebraska beer drinkers look forward to the release of the Snow Beast. And if they're lucky enough, they can even find a taste of the barrel-aged beast, which is routinely on my best of list year after year. Kincaider Brewing beer, beers can be found all across the state of Nebraska at liquor stores and grocery stores. But to truly experience all they have to offer, you can check out their tap rooms in Omaha, Lincoln, and Grand Island. Or for the true beer fan, you can make your way to the original brewery in Broken Bow, Nebraska. And that's a little blip on, uh, on Kincaider. Nice. Yeah. So why don't you tell us, Drew, what we are uh, currently going to start out with for our wink-wink uh, first beer of the night. <laughs> yeah. So we are drinking... Um, what are we drinking? Which We're one? drinking Hail Ale. Hail Ale. I've got two in front of me. Hail Ale. It's a cream ale. It's uh, an easy-drinking light ale brewed with Nebraska corn and lightly hopped. Light enough for sweltering September Saturdays in Nebraska and enough flavor to last all season. This is a collaboration beer between Kincaider and Hill Varsity. Um, and, and we're big fans of cream ale on yep. this show. Um, there's something about Nebraska corn that holds, I think, a special place in everybody's heart in Nebraska. And when you put it into beer, it just makes it that much better. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, this is, a, again, it's, it's exactly as the description says. Like, it's an all-occasions type beer. Um, but it pairs very well with football season. Yeah, we, we featured this beer in our Nebraska Beer Off, where we took all the beers that were um, somehow tied into Nebraska football, and I believe this one actually came out on top as like one of the easiest drinkers, nice and smooth, nothing crazy about it. If folks haven't tried this one before, this is one of those that we kind of call, you know, the Bush Light, the Coors Light killers, where they're, they're an easy transition from a domestic to, um, to a craft beer. Uh, yeah. And Kincaider does it well. It's awesome that it's a tie-in. Um, to our to our boss at at her dad into Hale Varsity and that sort of thing, but you know it's kind of the the easy go to and the obvious go to, um, but it's nice when those things taste good too. Oh yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. A, that's the thing is like you compare it to the the Bud Lights and the Miller Lights of the world, but there is still a ton of flavor and a, and a lot to like and explore in these beers um, that keeps them interesting without being overwhelming on the palate or, or reaching into those extreme areas that beers can often go to. So. Yeah, absolutely. So if you haven't had a chance to try the Hail Ale, it can be found in stores during the football season. It's actually, it's almost back. Kincaider was posting that they're gearing up and ramping up to have that back out, but you can also find it uh, at the Hale Varsity Club uh, year-round, uh, and they've got a really cool can pull tab as well on the bar tap uh, so that you know exactly that it's, it's right there and what you're drinking. Oh, yeah. But before Drew and I move on, um, when we talk about beer, we want to take a quick moment to talk about our very special show partner, the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild. Longtime listeners of the show, No Wannabe Walk-Ons, is the official podcast of the NCBG. The Guild is a professional organization that protects the craft brewing industry in Nebraska. The Guild's main focus is to encourage folks of a legal drinking age to drink Nebraska beer through promotion, education, and events. If you're a fan of craft beer like we are, you can learn more about the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild, find local breweries, and join the Nebraska Beer Alliance by visiting nebraska.beer. All right, Drew. Enough beer talk. It's time to get into some football talk. This is, as we air this, going to be our, our first conversation about Nebraska football for the 2023 season. And the way we like to break this out is we talk about the non-conference for one episode, Big Ten East for the next episode, and then we break the Big Ten West into two parts. Now, we're doing things a little out of order, and, and there's a reason for that. Normally, we would go in order that they fall on the schedule, but seeing as how Colorado falls first and we have the most um, stuff to talk about them. <laughs> uh, we're going to actually go out of order, put them last, and start with Northern Illinois, then move to Louisiana Tech, then we're going to talk about Colorado. How's that sound? Sounds great. Does that work for you? Perfect. Good. We predetermined that, so I'm glad it's good for you. 
We also like to start out with a little introduction about each team, just to give a little heads up as to you know, who they are, what they are, before we talk a little bit X's and O's, uh, which is something that we're actually nominated for, for a Nebraska Podcast Award, which is the X's and O's. Oh, very cool. Yeah. 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 I, we, I, I wonder if they listen. I don't know how. <laughs> <laughs> a smattering of applause breaks across the audience. <laughs> On September 16th, 2023, Memorial Stadium, Matt Rule's rule will begin with a showdown under the lights against the Northern Illinois Huskies. The game is scheduled to begin at 6 p.m., and as far as technology can tell, the skies look clear for the first game of the season. You can usually rely on weather predicted out months in advance Yeah, the, and we, not base it on We should absolutely be there because we are not, you know, no. we're not the reason for the, for the bad juju. NIU is led by Thomas. That's a nice place for a nap hammock in his fifth season as head coach. Over the past four seasons, Hammock has racked up a 17-27 roller coaster of a record, with his worst season in 2020 coming to a six and or 0 and 6 close, and his best season one year later ending at 9 and 5. The Huskies are looking to bounce back to those 2021 numbers after finishing 3 and 9 in 2022 with a 2 and 6 MAC record. Injuries plague the Huskies in 2022, so the team, coaches, and fans are expecting a solid turnaround heading into the 2023 season. The last time Northern Illinois came to town in 2019, the Huskers handed the Huskies a 44-8 loss. Looking over the history between these two teams, it appears the Huskers have always steadily handled the Huskies, except for a blip in 2017. That can't be right. Yeah, no, we forget those no, parts it's, of it's, history. It says here that in 2017, the Huskies scored two first-quarter pick sixes off of screen passes from Tanner Lee. One was returned 25 yards and the other 87 yards. The Huskers worked all game to regain the lead 17-14 but gave up a late touchdown, losing 21-17. I don't remember that. Well, it also says here that the 2017 Northern Illinois Huskies team is widely considered the greatest football team to ever play the game and that I shouldn't feel bad about this loss, so that's a relief. <laughs> Northern Illinois is historically a well-coached, hard-hitting team who isn't afraid of a challenge. Nebraska has slipped up in more of these group of five games as of uh, recent, more than I'd like to admit. But the stage is set for an incredibly fun environment if the Huskers can take care of business. But with a team like NIU coming to town, the fun should be reserved for the fans until the clock strikes double zeros. Until then, it's all business for the Big Red. Hold for applause. There we go. All right, so. (laughs) Hey. He read paper. Um, so what we also like to do in this section is a true or false to give a little bit more color to the schools that we are covering. So we like to prepare a true or false question for one another and try and challenge what we have to, you know, what our knowledge basis is about these universities. And Drew, since I've been talking nonstop and I'm sweating profusely, I'd like you to go <laughs> you ahead. You want to keep going? Okay. No, you can go ahead with I the first true in. or false. Yeah. All right. So everyone knows that Dan Castellaneta most commonly known as the voice of Homer Simpson, graduated from NIU in 1979. But did you know Castellaneta based the voice of Homer Simpson off the father of his freshman year roommate? Ooh. Audience participation is welcome. So anybody has a, a, a guess, true or false? What do you guys think? Yell true or false? I don't know if the microphones can pick it up. But everyone's wrong. <laughs> All of them. I, I'm going to go with. Uh, I'm going to go with true. That feels very true. Yeah, it would have been nice if it was, but it's not. It's uh, false. Yeah. Um, dang it. <laughs> While NIU did provide opportunities for Castellaneta to practice voiceover work and improv, his Homer Simpson voice uh, was originally based on Walter Matthau. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, that proved unsustainable, so he changed the voice by dropping it down, putting his chin on his chest. And, quote, letting his IQ go. 
<laughs> there you go. That's how you get Shake it Homer out. Simpson. Yeah. Mm, and IU actually yeah. has like a long history of of um, graduates who who went on to really great careers in TV and film. What, 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 like, were there other examples that you had? Yeah, I don't remember their names. <laughs> People that were in really big shows. really stellar examples. Uh, if Dan Castellaneta was like your yeah, um, everyone's Robert like, oh, Zemeckis. Yeah. Oh, okay. He did my, not graduate, but um, the the people that wrote Top Gun. Okay. The screenwriters for that. They Very cool. In NIU, so, yeah. There you go. Would you believe that... Well, no, that actually gives away mine. Okay. We're going to loop back to that <laughs> as a callback. All right, so here's my true or false. Northern Illinois, uh, famous DeKalb, Illinois resident Joseph Glidden claimed he was able to travel forwards and backwards in time thanks in part to his custom steam locomotive built by Dr. Emmett Brown. Yep. <laughs> You're just bought in. Absolutely. Didn't give anyone a chance to answer. Oh, sorry. All I four believe of them it. out Have there. Have you been to DeKalb, Illinois? There's nothing to do but watch TV or build a steam engine that travels through time. What does everyone think? Is that true or false? False. I really hope the microphones are just barely picking that up. Like, wow, it's, it's rapturous uh, amount of people. It is false. Uh-oh. So you're wrong. That's sad. We're both wrong. We're both 0-1. So Joseph Glidden, a DeKalb, Illinois resident and massive donor to Northern Illinois University, is often cited as the inventor of barbed wire. Ah. Uh, while multiple men manufactured barbed wire in DeKalb, Illinois, an interesting history all on its own, Glidden's barbed wire shares a design and function which is still used to this day. As for the time traveling, in a small role in Back to the Future 3, <laughs> written and directed by Bob Zemeckis, uh, in go. which Marty McFly and Doc Brown travel back to the Wild West, the two men encounter an unnamed barbed wire salesman who bears a striking resemblance and is frequently cited as Joseph Glidden. So, very interesting. Nice. That. Little, yeah. I wonder if that's where old Bobby, Bobby Z, I think his name starts with the Z, or Zemeckis. It might not. He was, he was like born and raised there, yeah. Was he? Mm-hmm. He's probably like, I am riddled with barbed wire <laughs> knowledge and yeah. history. Gotta squeeze it into a I, film somewhere. If I don't make it into a full film, <laughs> it's going to be partial. Oh. Well, that went over Very well. Cool. Drew, so what do you think about Northern Illinois? What are, what are your first thoughts that jump to mind? you want to start offense, defense, or should we just start at I, special teams oh, and I was gonna, the whole thing up? I want to look at them broadly because this team did There's go th- no broads there's, on this <laughs> They did go three and nine last year. Yeah. Um, five of those losses were by eight points or fewer, which puts them in contention. That doesn't happen to any team. second best three and nine team ever. Um, like you alluded to in, in your write-up, um, the uh, injury luck was not on their side last year, just on both sides of the ball. And so they're expecting to come back healthy this year. They brought in uh, – or they've got Rocky Lombardi, who's going to be their, their starting quarterback. Um, he was dinged up last year, and they just didn't have anybody that could replace his production, yeah. um, who was consistent like he had been um, in his four games for them. And so um, – that's, that's kind of the, the, the big storyline, I think, for them coming into the season is if, if they can stay healthy, I think that they have a chance to bounce back in a big way to a point where they're a, certainly above 500 and potentially, if things go right, competing in their division. Yeah, I mean, I think they're, I think they're a, a lucky break or two away from being the best team in the MAC this year. You know, they, in that 2021 season, Hammock had them in the championship. They were, um, they were vying for that number one spot. And, and I think they can return back there. You know, you mentioned Rocky Lombardi, who, who Husker fans might know as the quarterback that Nebraska beat 9-6 to six, uh, in the snow against Michigan State. He transferred to NIU. Um, but one of the big things that jumps out at me offensively, especially when you have a veteran quarterback, is they return their entire starting offensive line. 
And I think that's a huge get for any team. I mean, I know that I would love that as any fan to say, hey, I want my offensive line another chance for them to gel, another chance for them to get things together, um, but also to be a starting line behind a coach who knows how to get you, you know, to your conference's promised land. Um, to me, that bodes well. And, and when you have a veteran quarterback behind there with guys he can trust, that's where you start to get those lucky breaks. They look like luck, but they're really not. You're prepared yeah. for that, and you're, and you're planned out for that. Yeah, and that offensive line gave up only 12 sacks last year, which at one a game, that ranked tied 10th in the nation. And so they're not just returning a bunch of you know People. guys with yeah. experience, yeah. but guys with experience who are capable of protecting their quarterback, um, who are capable of establishing a solid run game. Um, and so, so yeah, they're, they're very excited to, to, to have that consistency across the line, and I think that's going to bode very well um, just all around for their offense. Yeah, especially when they bring in, you know, you always have to look now, and, and we're probably struggling with this as well, is, is you always have to look at who are they bringing in from the transfer portal, who's joining the team, who's looking for reps, that sort of thing. They bring in a really interesting Iowa transfer in Gavin Williams, who should lead that Huskies room. He's got Power 5 experience. He's running behind a veteran offensive line, something that he probably you know did at Iowa as well. Um, so it's something where I expect them to be a really balanced uh, offense and something that it's not something where I expect them to come out and be, you know, all flash and no substance. I actually expect them to produce and be consistent. And as a Husker fan of the past four years, that concerns me, right? Where I look at teams who are consistent, they know their identity. Those were the teams where you didn't feel like we were, we had a fighting chance, right? There are a lot of games where you were watching and you thought, okay, you know, we can make a comeback to this. We can get things close, but it was the consistent pounders who were just running the ball and moving the ball where there's like no hope. And, and that's, Something that concerns me about NIU, even though, you know, they're not a power five team, they're coming in, it's going to be Matt Rule's first game at Memorial Stadium, energy, momentum, everything's going to be on Nebraska's side. Um, but I'm just conditioned over the past half decade to know that, like, this is a trap. If, yeah, I agree. I, it feels like that in the sense that, like, like you said, it's, it's the consistency. It's, they're not a gimmicky offense. They're not you know, some big name coach that's come in and like changing things up at maybe some other programs that we might talk about yeah. uh, in a little bit. They, they, they do know their identity. They like to rush. They like to run the ball. They like to pound it. Um, they do have guys. They've got Gavin Williams. They also returned their second leading rusher in Ontario Brown, who rushed for almost 700 yards last, last year and seven touchdowns. Um, they, they know exactly what, what they want to do. They also get wide receiver Trayvon Rudolph back. Yeah. Um, he missed all of last year with an ACL tear. But as a freshman, he had over 50 catches for almost 900 yards and seven touchdowns. He was, a, he was an absolute phenom. And so um, with him healthy, with Rocky Lombardi healthy, with a, a great offensive line and a, and a running attack that you have to respect, that's when you can see Northern Illinois using that weapon like Trayvon Rudolph to – you know, make those big chunk plays or maybe catch, catch Nebraska off guard and, and keep things interesting. Absolutely. I mean, if I'm a fan of NIU, I like the way that the offense is shaping up for this season. Um, it, it feels a little bit like a, okay, let's see if, if Hammett can get things back to consistency. I don't know that it's a hot seat situation. You know, he's been there for five seasons, um, but he, he really does need to make a move and he's got a team capable of doing that. He's got a veteran team. Um, and so I think that this offense is going to be one that, that clicks and, and goes out and does what they want to do and bullies people and pushes them around. And NIU has shown in the past that those are the kind of players they bring to the plate. Nebraska didn't play them when they were coached by, uh, by Hammock last time that they lost to them, but um, you, just, you just never know how things are going to shake out in these games. Uh, like I, I hate to, bra- to kind of rag on it, but as of late. So um, I hope that Nebraska's defense really settles in and tries to just play sound and, and take care of things here. 
Uh, but what are your thoughts on the defense? When you were looking at NIU, um, how does the defense jump out at you, and what kind of separates them apart for you? Well, as, I mean, as great as Northern Illinois' offense looks, as well as they might match up with us, the defense is, I think, a different story. Um, their, their defensive front, I think, is really great. I think that's where everything kind of starts for them. It's, it's how they, they sort of set their defense up. They've got really great defensive tackles and James Esther and Devontae O'Malley. Um, these are guys that can, that can anchor that defense, that can be disruptive, that can get into the backfield and kind of throw things off. They've also got Rashawn Thomas at defensive end who can also contribute to that pass rush. And so, um, you know, if, if the front of this defense is, is being active and, and kind of throwing things off for Nebraska, I think that they can cause some issues. Um, but the problem is, is that they just give up too many points. Yeah. And their secondary gives up a lot of passing yards. And when they do give up passing yards, they tend to lose. Um, they have trouble getting offenses off of the field on third down. Um, and so, so they've got some, some bugaboos that they need to work out. And I, and I don't know if they were able to completely, uh, you know, fix everything in the offseason with all this, this transfer, portal, transfer portal assistance. Yeah. That's one of the notes that I have is that they're, just, they're still looking to add to create depth within this unit. They've got some great starters on that defensive line. They run a four-two-five scheme. Um, but in the, in the games that I watched from 2022, they were just absolutely exposed in the quarterback run game. Um, they were absolutely exposed in the passing game. They're, they're really missing some key components in that linebacker and secondary core. So if the defensive line can't get to guys, it, it's, it's real tough goings for this. And, and I expect this to be maybe a game where, you know, it's under the lights uh, at Memorial Stadium. It's a first game. Nebraska's going to show out. They're going to kind of reassert their dominance regardless of what happens the first two games uh, of the season. This is going to be a real nice welcoming for Matt Rule. And I expect Nebraska to not pull their foot off the pedal, which is something that maybe they have, maybe they haven't done in the past, you know, depending on who you ask. But this is one where I really think that it's a team that you want to put away because they're not going to be able to play from behind. Uh, But you don't want to keep them in the game or let them stay in the game because that's where they excel. That's where this offense excels. So uh, defensively, if we can get them behind, great. The other thing that concerns me, though, about this defense, um, if we're not sound in it, is they are turnover savvy. You watch those games, and those guys are punching for the ball. They're hitting for the ball when when running backs get stopped or when wide receivers get wrapped up. They're trying to make a play for that ball, which is something that you want out of a good defense. They're trying to get turnovers. They're trying to make that happen. And, I mean – you know you're a well-coached team when, when I can see it. Like when you can, you know, the, the average person can just see them going for that. So those are the things that I want Nebraska to look out for is just get out ahead early, hit them with the quarterback run, hit them in their secondary, and just ball security. And I think that you can handle this defense um, and just, just keep Jeff Sims safe, you know, or whoever our starting quarterback happens to be in this game. Keep them safe and don't let that defensive line eat. Yeah, and I think that's a good point is, is with, with them being at home um, for the first time this, in the season – uh, Matt Rule's, you know, big introduction. I don't think it matters very much what happens in those first two games. Um, I think I think they're going to be. I think it matters what happens in those it, first two games. It does in the grand scheme, but in this game in particular, I think that they, I think they'll be able to hit that reset button. They're they're going to bring a, a certain energy to this one, being at home for the first time in the season, being at home for the first time with Matt Rule. I think the crowd's going to bring an energy regardless, um, and and. You know, the Northern Illinois name, it, it carries some weight here, obviously, from the past. Um, it, it, and it, it would anyway, uh, regardless of, of past results, just because, again, with the way that Nebraska has played against some of these types of opponents um, in recent history. And so, yeah, I, I expect Nebraska to show up for this one. And I think that um, 
I think that uh, as far as, as, you know, Northern Illinois' defense goes, um, I think my biggest question mark for them has to do with their linebacking core. They lost some key guys there. Um, they're pretty, you know, on average, they're a smaller group of guys. Um, and so I think Nebraska is going to be able to find some mismatches there as far as, like, the team speed goes. Guys like Billy Kemp getting underneath. Um, if we have a healthy and a full tight end group, um, we might be able to find some mismatches there, and then that'll open up deeper passing, the deeper passing game as well. Um, and so we could hopefully largely just, I don't want to say ignore the, what the, the defensive line can do for Northern Illinois, but maybe mitigate it a little bit as far as with the pressure that they're able to create. Yeah, if this offensive line can come out and, and bully this defensive line or at least hold them at bay, I mean, that would be a nice step forward too just from a, a season-wide start. Like, okay, if we can handle these guys from our offensive line against that defensive line, you know, that gives a little bit of, of confidence. Yeah, it's, it's, a good, it's a good jumping off point, yeah. even though it's the third game in the season. Well, if we lose, I'll be would... jumping off of a point, <laughs> I can tell you that. Uh, any, any thoughts on special teams or, or not really? You know, they, I, I will say that they've got um, not a great return game, and that feels like just not something to worry about. They yeah. were, like, near dead last in both punt and kick returns. They just they don't have um, – that electric player that some other teams that we'll face have and yeah. that, that pose a threat. Um, they do return a starting punter in Tom Foley, who averaged almost 41 yards a punt. Yeah. That's something. He knows how to kick a ball. And, <laughs> it was very uh, nice how you said almost 41 yards. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Jake Siebert, uh, former Ohio State kicker. I think he's, he's new to the team. He hasn't kicked since 2020, but the last time he kicked was in a national title game. So Yeah. Did they win, though? <laughs> <laughs> No. no. All right. So I think that's a good wrap up on Northern Illinois. Uh, what do you say we, we move into uh, Louisiana Tech, La Tech, these, these fighting bulldogs in, Let's do in it. red and blue? If I can. Oh, here it is. You got it? I got it. All right. On take September it away. September 23rd, 2023, the Bulldogs of Louisiana Tech will visit Lincoln, Nebraska to take on our beloved Cornhuskers. The game will mark the, fin- the finale of Nebraska's non-conference opponents as they head into Big Ten play the following week. Second, their second game of Big Ten play. Uh, the Bulldogs are coached by Sonny What Kind of Bee? Cumbie in his second season at the helm. Last season saw LA Tech finish at 3-9 and nine with a conference record of 2-6. and six. Cumbie looks to make a move in Conference USA, and the national media thinks he has the ingredients to climb the ranks with some outlets predicting a possible finish at the top. This year's contest will mark the third meeting between these two schools, with Nebraska owning the matchup two games to zero. The last time these two teams met, Kincader Brewing Company was just a homebrewers club. That's right, the last showdown between Nebraska and Louisiana Tech was in 2006 when the Huskers handed the Bulldogs a 49-10 loss. Now that's not to say that the Bulldogs don't have it in them to play spoiler, just ask 2019 Miami. The last time Louisiana Tech's Tech spoiled a happy ending for a Power 5 squad came in the 2019 Independence Bowl, where the Bulldogs blanked the Hurricanes 14 to nothing. Every game is an opportunity, and this squad is looking to make amends for their 2022 results. Will that upward trend gain momentum on a visit to Lincoln, or will Matt Rule and company take care of business? We will find out when LaTeX and Nebraska take the field on September 23rd. Perfect. I got a true or false question for you. You ready for it? I'm ready. All right. True or false? Louisiana Tech's nickname, the Bulldogs, is inspired by the heroic acts of a stray dog. False. What do you think? False? Yeah. 
It's true. Of course Who said it true? Is. There you go. Shout it out. Yeah. Drew, your son said true. Your son knew the answer. <laughs> you get up here and try this. <laughs> so in, uh, this, this is long and I apologize. Uh, in 1899, five Louisiana Tech students noticed a quiet old bulldog sitting alone under a tree. Assume, that already sounds like a lie, but it's not. <laughs> Assuming the dog was astray, they fed him all the food they had, and they continued on their way. When the young men had reached their house, they discovered that the bulldog had followed them. They received permission from the owner of the house to keep the dog and to let him sleep in the kitchen for the night. During the night, a fire broke out in the house, and the bulldog was first to be awakened. The dog ran from room to room, tugging at the sheets of the bed to wake the students and the owner. Once the owner and the students had assembled outside, they were horrified to discover that one boy was still in the house. By this time, the house was almost completely full of smoke. Before the boys had time to react, they saw the bulldog ran back into the burning house. Moments later, the final student ran out to safety. They all waited for the bulldog to come back out, but it never did. I'm so sorry to do <laughs> no. a story about a dog that died. I just now realized. Oh, boo. <laughs> that. Oh, man. I was just starting to like this. Oh, man. By dawn, the fire was out, and the boys searched what remained of the house in hopes of finding the bulldog. After a short time, they found the old dog lying in an unburned corner of the house. Unfortunately, the smoke and heat had been too much. The young men carried the bulldog back to campus to the tree where they had first met him. The men dug a grave for the hero and wrapped him in two jackets, one red, one blue. Soon, the news of the stray old bulldog spread across the tech campus. Everyone grieved and felt a closeness to the bulldog that most of them never knew. A loving old bulldog had become the first Louisiana Tech hero. A year after the death of the bulldog, Tech began making plans to start its first football team and needed a mascot and school colors. The students voted unanimously to become the bulldogs in honor of Tech's first hero. The school's colors were chosen to be red and blue in recognition of the colors the bulldog was buried in. Wow. That's a cool story, man. I mean, sad as hell. (laughs) God, you could have warned us. You know, that's not the first time I've done a dead dog, true or false, on this podcast. Oklahoma also has a dog buried in their stadium. Remember that one? Oh, yeah. Vaguely. He wore a sweater. Yeah. That's what he's known for. Did he save people from a fire? Nope. (laughs) Good Lord. Oh, man. That's a good one. That almost makes me want to cheer for Louisiana Tech moving forward, you know, like knowing. After. uh, Well, yeah. Post this. Post post this game. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right, let's hear yours. Mine has less heroics, but also less death, so bonus. Nice. Everyone knows that Terry Bradshaw, Pro Football Hall of Fame quarterback and notable co-star of the 2006 Matthew McConaughey and Sarah Jessica Parker romantic comedy failure, failure to, to launch. launch, you knew it, <laughs> is a Louisiana Tech football legend. But did you know, during the first half of his career, Terry Bradshaw was the backup to Phil Robertson, the founder of Duck Commander, and star of the show, Duck Dynasty. True or false, everyone? False. No, that one's true. Yeah. That I, one is absolutely true. Yeah, that's true. absolutely, yeah. I, I, I thought you might know that one. <laughs> that is true. Um, Robertson started ahead of Bradshaw in 1966 and 1967. During those two years in which Bradshaw could not crack the top, top spot, the football phenom Robertson completed well below 50% of his passes through nine touchdowns against 32 interceptions and led the Bulldogs to a breathtaking 4-16 and 16 record. Uh, Bradshaw said that Phil Robertson, quote, loved hunting more than he loved football. He'd come to practice directly from the woods, squirrel tails hanging out of his pockets, duck feathers on his clothes. <laughs> That's and how I, he still dresses. He does, yeah. I can't imagine how frustrating that had to be for Terry to not be able to, like, Knock this guy off the top spot. After Meanwhile, all of that. one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game is backup to this guy. Yes, yeah. 
So um, I, I do know, I, so I found out more. So Bradshaw actually ended up being the top overall pick in the NFL draft. He was drafted by the Steelers, obviously. That year, the Bears, my Bears, um, finished with the same record as the Steelers. They lost the coin toss for the first overall pick. And really? Hence missed out on uh, Bradshaw. So our, that was just the epitome of our bad luck in terms of quarterback play. That's really bad so, for the Bears. That's yeah, sad. Anyway, what might have been? Terry Bradshaw has a weird head. Have you notice that? <laughs> like it's a, he's got, he, his, the back of his hair is too long. Uh-huh. Like they should cut it's, it. He looks like the dad from Everybody Loves Raymond. Oh, yeah. Forget his name. He, yeah. he played Frankenstein and Young Frankenstein. Yeah. Frank? Frank. <laughs> Sorry? <laughs> oh, we're hearing from the peanut right, crowd here. that Terry Bradshaw had a nice looking. ass, though. Or Frank from Everybody Loves Raymond. Yeah. I like that none of that gave us the information of the guy's actual name. Just Frank with a nice ass. That guy. Now you know who we're talking about. He's in good company, though, because there's a couple of nice asses up here. <laughs> and I don't mean that in our butts. So, hey. uh, Louisiana Tech. How about this team? All right. I'm... I'm I'm not quite sold on them being a front runner uh, in their conference. The way that things kind of fall for them, I, uh, you know, Sonny Cumbie's looking to implement his air raid offense that he brought from Texas Tech and tried to do at TCU, and uh, he he was let go uh, at TCU because he did not evolve that offense. Right, like people have figured out how to beat that offense, and he didn't make any changes, and now he's coaching at Louisiana Tech. Yeah. So I'm I'm not entirely convinced that the Cumbie is is really going to make any, any big waves, uh, especially with the kind of talent that goes on uh, in this conference. Yeah. Well, I, well, I mean, the conference has changed a little bit, right? It's, it's gotten easier because they've, I don't remember who, the AAC or whoever took a bunch of, like, the best teams. So I, I could see them competing. I, I certainly see them getting better than they were um, last year in, a, in, a, in some ways. As, again, as long as, like, certain things break the right way for them. What um, I do know, this was, what I do know, though, is they got lucky with the best wide receiver in the transfer portal. So, do you have that in your notes? That DeColdis Crawford plays for them now? Oh no, because I, I did not have him as my best uh, wide receiver. In the, that, was a, that was a bad joke. That was terrible. <laughs> no, this is another. This Derailed is another this uh, three, three and nine team. Four of their nine losses by ten points or less. They are in. I just don't know how that would second, feel. Three and, I, yeah, it's hard to imagine, but. Um, no, it's a, it's a team that I think is again. I think they're going to take take steps forward. Um, he he uh, he had them doing okay, like in terms of what he wants them to do. Right, he had them thirty third in, in football and passing yards per game. It's just that they weren't converting their yards into points. Right, um, red zone opportunities are only seventy one percent success rate. Um, but he did bring in. Uh, quarterback Hank Bachmeyer out of Boise State. This is a guy that I think is actually incredibly talented, right? Like Boise State is one of those, um, you know, lesser five teams that, that still can draw talent and, and still create and churn out some big names or some some quality players. Um, Hank just happened to be injury plagued throughout his entire career. A uh, big part of that was because Boise State's offensive line was just letting guys unload on this poor kid. Um, you know, uh, uh, Despite the injuries um, and despite all those hits, he was still a very accurate player. He still understands how to play under that amount of like, like that pressure and that stress, and he can still really throw the ball well. Um, again, bodes well for him and Louisiana Tech because their offensive line is probably going to let him get lit up yeah. this year. 
Um, they were one of the worst in FBS last year. They allowed um, almost three sacks a game. They allowed almost seven tackles for loss a game. Um, let a lot of guys through. And so it's sort of one of those things to me where it's, it's if their quarterback can stay healthy and if he can use that experience, um, you know, they, they could find some success. If this offensive line can kind of figure out some of those woes that were troubling them last year, um, they do have some, some preseason off-conference guys on this line. Yeah. It's just different from Northern Illinois. They, they bring back a lot of experience. It's just all that experience wasn't necessarily good. <laughs> you know, and so, and so it's, you know, does, does consistency along the line pay off for them, even though it wasn't a very great unit last year? Yeah, and I mean, if, if Bachmeyer can stay protected, which, by the way, Hank Bachmeyer is the most Boise-sounding name. <laughs> I imagine everyone in Boise is either named Hank or George or something along those lines and then has a name like Bachmeyer. But if, if he can stay healthy and if he can stay clean and he can deliver, he's got some serious weapons. Um, he's got Smoke Harris, who is actually in his seventh season, which we're going to see a lot of that moving into this um, this 2023 season. We're going to see a lot of guys who are incredibly experienced, incredibly veteran players who are just working their way up or to the point to where they can get enough on them to where scouts take notice to move on to the next level. They've got Smoke Harris in his seventh season, and they've got Cyrus Allen in his second season, which is two of the best wide receivers, I believe, in Conference USA. And so they're planning on relying on those guys quite a bit. Um, and then, like I said, they've got DeColdis Crawford. Like, I interrupted you and completely brought this whole conversation to a screeching halt. They've got <laughs> DeColdis Crawford. So they've got guys as well in that wide receiver room who are young guys, um, but that are also ready to contribute um, and add more speed and talent to that, to that room. I expect Crawford to make an impact immediately. I expect Crawford to be a name called in Memorial Stadium as well, um, just wearing the wrong colors, you know. So this is something where I do like the look of their wide receiver room. I think they've got talent and speed in there. And that's what Sonny Cumbie's going to be recruiting for, right? He wants to run an air raid offense, and so he's bringing in those guys who can execute that. But what I also like uh, is their running back room. They've got Marquise Crosby, who's a preseason all-conference player. Uh, he returns after almost going 1,000 yards. He, he racked up 918 yards and nine touchdowns a season ago. Strong runner. He's not afraid of contract, uh, contact. Plus, uh, I really like his speed after contact. He's a guy who can break away on you and, and, and really go for big gains. And then they bring in Craig Squirrel Williams, and I, and I hesitate when I say squirrel just because of the way that he spells his nickname. It's S-Q-W-I-R-L, so it's like squirrel, like he's, oh. you know, a whirling dervish or something along those lines. But um, he joins the running back room after transferring from Baylor, where he's most known for his uh, two-touchdown, 192-yard performance against Oklahoma, who, if we talk about Oklahoma, they seem to be taking a dive ball. This <laughs> I feel bad for Oklahoma. But I don't. Uh, Okay, well, I think Louisiana Tech's one-two punch at, at running back elevates them to maybe the best running back room in the conference. I think they've got a great wide receiver room. Like you said, that offensive line is scary, and having a quarterback who's injury-prone, you know how quickly that can really derail a season when you're having to shuffle who's going to be our starter this week. Um, and so that's where I'm concerned, is that I don't know that Bachmeyer is going to be able to stay healthy throughout the year. Hopefully when he comes to play at, at Lincoln, we're seeing Louisiana Tech's best, and we get to handle that offense. Um, but I don't think throughout the long season, I don't think he's going to hold up. And, and, and that, that's something that, you know, like we've seen year after year, just really derails a team completely when they don't have that leader, they don't have that identity, and they just can't get it done. Yeah, it makes it tough. And this for Louisiana Tech, it's their fifth game of the season, I think. So at that point, you are starting to deal with guys that are getting yeah. teamed up. Um, but as far as their wide receiver room goes, I wanted to touch more on Smoke Harris because this guy is actually like pretty incredible. 
Um, and, I, and I think we're going to hear him uh, and see his, him, his number getting called a lot when he comes here. I think he's, he's an underneath type of guy. Um, and so in this spread offense, when, when you're, you know, you're spreading the defense out, um, he's, he's a little bit of a safety valve underneath. And I think he's really going to test Nebraska's linebackers as far as like just a matchup speed versus speed and how well they're going to be able to cover sideline to sideline. I think it's um, a mismatch in favor of Louisiana Tech with this guy, um, at least on that front. And so I, I could see them using him just as their primary weapon um, more so than they normally do. Um, and then Cyrus Allen, you mentioned, he's, he's a deep threat guy. He last year ranked second in all of FBS in yards per reception, and that, that's not just like a couple of big plays. He had 22 catches for 500 yards, but he averaged almost 23 yards a catch, and he had four touchdowns. So, yeah, they do have um, weapons for Hank Bachmeyer to take advantage of. It's just as long as he can stay upright and make sure that that ball is getting to them. Um, and another guy that, that I didn't hear you call his name was Charvis Thornton. He's another a guy in their running back room. So they do a this sort of three-headed monster. He put up almost 500 yards on 80 attempts and scored three touchdowns. He was at almost six yards per carry. Um, so they do have a little bit of a rotation there. And, and then bringing in Craig Williams from Baylor, it's, it's, um, it's a different running style. It's, he's a smaller guy. He's a smaller back. He can be used in the passing game. And so this just gives him a little bit of, of, of versatility in their offense that – they didn't have last year. So. Well, what about their defense? My first note is bad. Bad. As in not good. <laughs> they, yeah. They, they are not a great defensive team, which makes uh, sense as to why a lot of, I don't know, maybe attention has been paid to their offense. Um, last year, they ranked nearly dead last in points allowed, rushing yards allowed, and total yards allowed. I mean, teams just moved the ball against them. Um, they ran the ball against them, which is, you know, what you want to do as, as an opposing team, you want to control the game and control the clock. Um, they're able to score on their offensive side of the ball, but uh, they just, man, they, they really have a hard time stopping darn near anyone. That I just, when I was watching their, their footage, I noticed that they were just bullied on the defensive line. Opposing teams were able to get to the second level and, and really create big, wide lanes, which in today's football is, uh, especially college football, you, you just can't have that happen. You've got to keep that on the first level and, and, and not let guys break through. But I don't know what you saw no, as it, far as that defense the goes. The same. It's a, they've, they've got a two-headed monster of a problem, and it is they can't stop the run and they can't generate a pass rush. And those are like the two things that you most often hear coaches say, like, we've we got we to be able to stop the run. We've got to be able to generate a pass rush. We've got to disrupt the, the pass game. And so they couldn't do either one of those, and it did lead to them giving up just gobs of points um, over six yards per rushing attempt, which was near dead last in all of football. They gave up 34 rushing touchdowns, almost 300,000 3, uh, yards rushing on the year, and they were only able to get 16 total sacks. Um, I think that, that they've done an okay job of um, bringing in some guys to kind of maybe help shore up a bit on that defensive line to shore up their linebacker room um, it's just, it's such an egregious issue for them that, yeah, they, they don't quite have enough, I think, to hang with Nebraska. I think that, that the problems are just too multifaceted and too great for them to just solve in one year, and especially to solve and then come into a place like Lincoln and, um, and, and you know, walk away with a win. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they brought in only 11 defensive transfers to try and fix all of their problems, and we're seeing teams that are going out and completely revamping their entire roster. 
Um, they have four new linebackers who they intend, you know, to start and to rotate through. And all that does is take your defense from a liability to a little less of a liability. I just don't expect that to meld um, that early, uh, even though it's five games in. That, that's, that's a big ask with camp and with the way that the transfer portal works where guys are still coming into schools and stuff like that. Um, Scott Power is their defensive coordinator. He's got to get these guys to melt quickly. Um, but they have an early test against SMU, which is not going to go well. And then they've got Nebraska, which I hope doesn't go well for them. Uh, and I, I just don't see them really getting to that point to where they're, you know, they're stacking wins. Uh, and I think that this defense is going to be that liability. I think the offense will, will, will get theirs and they'll do theirs. But I don't think that this defense is going to be able to step up the way that they need to step up. Yeah, I agree. I think I think Nebraska's going to be able to and will and should focus on just running the ball on these guys. Um, they they bring back experience in the secondary. Um, they've got three seniors that are going to be starting there. They've got Willie Roberts, who had four interceptions last year. They've got uh, Cecil Singleton at safety. He's a pre, preseason first-team all-conference guy. And then they brought in one of the transfers is uh, Miles Hurd at safety. He comes in from Stephen F. Austin, and they poached a ton of guys from Stephen F. Austin. Like, it's, they, they are turning them into a farm system. Um, well, that's, that's one way to win at the next level is being guys <laughs> who play at the lower level yeah, right. and hope for the best. Um, so I, I think Nebraska is going to be able to hopefully just lean on these guys, um, you know, use that, that rotation of running backs, the running back depth that they have to, to take care of business, and then hopefully you know, see some, some um, of Jeff Sims you know, using the run game and, and um, to just kind of keep them off balance. How nice, well. how nice would it be for Nebraska to be able to put in a second-string quarterback because they want to, not because they have to? Yeah, I don't, I, I don't <laughs> see that happening. I'm not even going to pretend like that's going to happen this year where we're bringing in second, you know, third, fourth-string guys and just giving them experience. Um, I, don't, I don't think that the team is at that point. And I honestly think, like, when you're bringing in a new coaching staff and, you're, and you're, you've got uh, whole new systems that are being put in place, and especially with Nebraska's brought in a ton of transfers too, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, this is a very, very new team that has not had the opportunity to gel. I think that you want to give your starters as, much, um, as many snaps as possible together and try to create that consistency, consistency across the line, um, consistency as far as, like, you know, what groups you're going to be rotating in. Um, who's going to be seeing snaps in certain situations. I think this is going to be – these are going to be tough opponents um, as far as the non-con goes, but they're still going to provide the right opportunity where you can, um, you know, get, get guys to be, get comfortable within your system before getting into – I don't know that I agree with that 100%, right? Because I feel like with, without, like, a defined who is our second string, we've got Chuppa Purdy, we've got Heinrich Harburg, we've got some questions as to who's going to be backing up Jeff Sims. I think it is going to be important – to try and get to the point where we can bring guys in for live reps. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, these are the, always the opponents that you want to get that done in. If, if I'm, you know, measuring who I think it's more likely against, I think it'd be more likely against Louisiana Tech. And I don't think, you know, Northern Illinois is not going to let up off the gas. And they, they have the defensive line that can be a little bit more aggressive. So I don't know that you want to, you know, uh, risk that. But, but I do think that, you know, and, and hope that we would get to a point where we can actually see that because I think it is crucial to have some live reps in the fourth quarter for, for those guys who might be filling in later on. The season's long, and we've not made it in the past uh, in the Big Ten without a quarterback. I mean, you go back to, like, Taylor Martinez. He was getting injured in the Big Ten. So I think it is vital, you know. So I, I push back on that a little bit, that you get your, your second and third stringers some, some reps and, and get them some touches on the ball in live action. 
Um, but mostly I just, I want it cause I want it. <laughs> <laughs> cause it means good things. It means good I, things. Yeah. My, my thing is like, I, I agree. Like I need any live reps for anybody on your team is great, but I don't, I just don't think Nebraska is going to be there with, especially against just these opponents. I think that as, as bad as they all were defensively last year, I still think that Nebraska is still is going to be getting comfortable and trying to get comfortable to a point where they're not going to create that lead um, where they can sit on the cushion and start to bring in those second guys until maybe very, very late in the game. How dare you sit on Damon's cushion <laughs> and bring up the cushion that Nebraska is going to have against Louisiana Tech. I feel very confident about that game. That's the one. Like if I was like, I'm going to bet our mortgage. Yeah. That's it. My wife's sitting over there going... <laughs> Eyes got wide. Yeah. So, yeah, any other thoughts on, on Louisiana Tech? I mean, special teams, we, we, we kind of can be hit or miss on, on, on those types of things. And, and quite frankly, we're hit or miss on damn near everything we talk about. But That's Smoke nice. Harris does do, go into the return game, and, and that can be he's, yeah, an he's, effect. Yeah, that can he's definitely, definitely a weapon there. He's had seven years to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, last year he, was, um, he had 500-plus kick return yards and 200-plus punt return yards. He's one of only two players to return this year to FBS that have those sorts of statistics um, as a return man. Averaged over 27 yards uh, a kick return and 12 for a punt return, which is better than a lot of teams um, average. And so he's he's a guy that, yeah, you just have to always keep an eye on him and, and hope that you got a special teams that stays in their lane and, and doesn't give up that big play, that momentum shifting play. You know, you don't want to you don't want to take a seven nothing lead and then let a big kick return kind of take some of the air out of the stadium. Well, the good news is. Ed Foley is Nebraska's special teams coordinator, and Ed Foley doesn't play that game. <laughs> the bad news is we got to break some bad habits that have taken place over the past few years in giving mm-hmm. up some of those, those big momentum swings uh, that have cost Nebraska games, quite frankly. Oh, yeah. And um, I think Michigan State comes to mind two years ago. There's, there's some other ones where, you know, you just want to keep teams uh, away from, from taking advantage of Nebraska because of special teams mishaps. Oh, yeah. So, uh, they got a guy back there who could who could give it a shot, and uh, I hope that we tackle him lots. Agreed. Uh, I think before we move on to Colorado, we should probably talk about the second beer that we have in front of us from Kincader. And if you would please tell us what we have as our, our second beer. All right. Yeah, this is Dragon Juice. It's a New England or a hazy IPA. It's a bright, juicy, tropical, and citrus fu- fruit flavors with strong hop aroma from Amarillo, Eldorado, and Citra Hops, a smooth, subtle bitterness with a clean finish. Have you had uh, Dragon Juice before? I don't think I have. Oh, well, I'm going to watch so you as you take your first new, sip. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> that was as awkward as I hoped it would be. Oh, it was everything I wanted and more. Uh, I like this beer. Um, I, th- I think some of the best beers out there are just, they're balanced. Right, and maybe it's these nice studio lights that have warmed this beer <laughs> to to room temperature, or or maybe it's the beer itself. I'm going to go with it's the beer itself because I trust Kincader, and like I said, Snowbees is one of my favorites. Hail Ale is a great beer. It's just a very balanced beer. So those flavors that you mentioned, yeah, they come through, but they don't overpower. Um, they're present, but they're 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 not enforcing their will over over the entire beer itself. And so I really like the citrus notes that finish with the bitterness without being an overly sweet beer or an overly, you know, citrus. When you hear dragon juice, you think like, oh, am I going to be drinking orange juice, pretending to be beer or something Sounds like that. intense. It does, yeah. like camping. And um, 
stay with me. Um, <laughs> yeah, so very nice beer. I, I don't expect anything less from King Cater. You know, I think they do great things, and, and uh, this is just another kind of notch on their belt. I think it's a, it's a great beer. It'd be an easy drinker, one that could go in a fridge and, and please anyone who's looking for something a little bit citrusy. Um, even, even someone who's not an IPA fan, I think, would enjoy that beer. Yeah, and, I, and, and the more I drink, like, the further I get away from, like, the IPA scene. Um, just I, I like the balance. I like to be able to um, pick out, you know, more malt flavors than, than the hops. And, and I think a lot of that has to do with, like, just, just the way that the industry has gone. It's gone towards extremities and all of that. And so this is, a, this is an offering um, in, in what's a field of, uh, that's almost oversaturated with options, um, but, it, but that draws back towards, um, yeah, balance and just and being able to say, like, hey, like, the hops are important, but so is the rest of the beer. Right. You know, and, and so it's a, a very enjoyable experience um, as far as beers go, as yeah. far as hazy IPAs go. It's like the recording a live podcast experience of beers. You know, it's pleasant. This is fun. <laughs> Everyone's fine, having fun. Right? We're, We're all fun. having fun? Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> so what do you say we shit on Colorado? Let's do it. It's my favorite thing to do. Yeah. When I went to college uh, in Colorado, I shit in Colorado. A lot. Nice. That's you a did, yeah. fun fact for everyone. <laughs> On Saturday, September 9th at 11 a.m., 10 a.m. Mountain Time, we coming. The Huskers head west to Boulder, Colorado to take on Pac-12 outhouse Colorado Buffaloes. The Buffaloes are led by head coach Deion Sanders in his first season at the university. Prior to his stop at Boulder, Coach Prime spent three seasons at Jackson State where the Tigers went an impressive 27-6, and highlighted by back-to-back SWAC championships in 2021 and 2022, as well as back-to-back appearances they lost in the national championship games in 2021 and 2022. But why did Colorado need to go out and get Dion in the first place? Well, that would probably be because in 2022, the Colorado Buffaloes finished their season at 1-11 at after a 4-8 and eight season the year before that. Since the completion of the 2022 football season up to this moment, Colorado has seen a total of 56 players transfer out of the program and 42 players transfer in. Their scholarship numbers have them 14 players short of a full roster with only 71 of the typical 85 spots filled. One can assume they're working on it or one can assume those funds will be spent to pay prime salary. (laughs) I can have my fun, but it's only fair to mention that the last time these two programs met, Colorado won 34-31 in overtime, but I don't want to talk about it any more than that. We had a big party. It sucked. (laughs) It's the game most of us have circled on the calendar as we enter the 2023 season. On September 9th, the Sea of Red will take over Folsom Field and the stands will be filled with real fans of college football, not those who blow through the town when the coach is someone they can actually name. We're in for a treat when Nebraska heads to Colorado to take on coach. Prime example why you shouldn't spend $5 million on Dion and his soon-to-be extinct American Buffaloes. So, Drew. Yeah, I'm already taking shots. Not literally. I mean, we're drinking a lot of beer, but um, we'll get into Colorado. Um, but when we went into Iowa last year, we went in with this unabashed confidence that we had not earned. Absolutely. And it turned out really well. We, it paid off. <laughs> it paid <laughs> off in our favor. Us, yeah. I mean, personally and just for the team itself. It, it, yeah. was, it was an incredible experience. So I'm going to just take that energy into Colorado and, uh, and completely overlook Minnesota in the game before it, transfer it to Colorado. Yeah. 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 We'll talk about Minnesota in a, in, in a few weeks. We don't need to talk about that now. No, forget about that. We're here that to talk about Prime, and we're here to talk about true or false questions about Colorado. Yes. I'm going to let you take it away. Okay. Everyone knows that Deion Sanders 
is the highest paid public employee in the state of Colorado, raking in a cool $5.9 million per year. After hiring Coach Prime, Colorado Athletic Director Rick George said, quote, we don't have the money yet, but I know we'll have it, end quote, <laughs> officially turning CU into IOU. But did you know the city of Boulder, Colorado, also employs goats? Oh, well, I heard my mom Listen say it's mom. true. <laughs> Even with these headphones on, her voice is at a specific frequency where it just goes right The in. mom frequency, it's just, yeah. yeah, straight to the heart. Yep. Yep. Um, Ezra, what do you think? True? Your son says it's true. He's been right. Did you tell him these beforehand? He gave me all of this information. Oh. Yeah. He's my, he's my Wikipedia. It's amazing. It's crazy Ez- the things he comes up Ezra-pedia. with. Ezrapedia. Yeah. <laughs> all right. I'm going to go with true then. It's true. It is true. All right. Way to go, Mom and Ezra. Hey. For over 20 years, the city of Boulder has hired goats to help control the spread of weeds through the community as a safe and cost-effective alternative to herbicides. Studies show that goats prefer weeds over four times to grass, and their grazing patterns prevent them from becoming poisoned by noxious species, renting a ghost, a goat, not <laughs> a ghost. A ghost. <laughs> That's a completely different That would different be so topic. much cooler. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I'm sure that people in Boulder, when they're trying to get rid of weeds, see a lot of goats. <laughs> <laughs> renting a goat costs between $400 and $1,000 per acre, and it takes four, between four and eight goats to clear one acre in one month. That sounds not too a expensive. speedy process. That that sounds like a very cost inefficient way to just take care of weeds. No, it's 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 fine. It's better than spending almost six million dollars a year to try to flip something in a month. Than <laughs> a thousand. So wait, you go. give me give me the math one more time. How much? So do they charge per goat or per acre? Uh, renting a goat costs between four hundred and thousand per acre. And it takes between four and eight goats to clear one acre in one month. I would pull weeds for two grand an acre. Yeah? I, I, could, I could work better than <laughs> But it wouldn't be as cute. And I don't think the children would want to pet you. So. But people like me climbing on them during yoga. <laughs> so it would work out. I should note as well, when I say I went to school in Colorado, I did not go to Boulder. No, yeah, absolutely No, I not. went to Greeley. Yeah. No, we wouldn't be doing this if you did. We wouldn't even be friends. So. No, that's fair. That's a good true or false. I That's like fine. goats. Did you know that? Well, yeah. I love goats. I think goats are adorable. They're Always great. wanted a pet goat. It's not too late. <laughs> I think they're cute. If this whole podcast thing doesn't work out, goats. It ain't. It's not working out at all. <laughs> Judging by the fact that I'm trying desperately to make my family laugh, this podcasting did not work out. That's what you've been doing your entire life, so. Yeah. Probably. All right. True or false, anyway. Drew? The University of Colorado at Boulder was the first higher education institution in the United States to be named after a rock. (laughs) That can't be true. There's got to be another rock out there somewhere. Plymouth or Granite (laughs) University. Keep naming rocks. Keep naming types of rocks. I want to know how far you can get with rocks. Flint. Okay. They probably have a university up there. Um, Okay. There's uh, Limestone. Yeah. There's River Rock, <laughs> not technically a rock, but a collection of them that you can use for landscaping purposes. Uh, Keep going. How, what's our time? <laughs> Producer Brandon, yeah. what are we at time-wise? Hour and two minutes. We, we got, got 20. 28 minutes left. Keep going with the rocks. I've got 28 minutes worth of information on Colorado alone. I don't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just have a long list of rocks, and I'm checking them off. Slate. Ooh, that's a good one. 
Yeah. yeah. Uh, You're wrong. It's true. Okay. So, <laughs> Boulder, Colorado, incorporated in 1871, was named by prospectors for the large number of boulders found in nearby streams. The university was officially established in 1876, beating out Flora Stone Mather College in 1888 and Slippery Rock University uh, in 1889. Rock. It's not even a real rock. Well, I mean, rocks can be slippery. Sounds more fun than a boulder. Well, Boulder was the first school <laughs> named after a rock. Cool. Good for them. Yeah. Fuck it. Let's name it a rock. <laughs> sorry, Kathy, for sorry, that. Kathy, yeah. And sorry for the, the children who are here. Uh, they're mine. Um, I will say that for Colorado, scouting them um, feels like... Do you watch Always Sunny in Philadelphia? Um, not regularly. Are you familiar with uh, Pepe Silva? No. The conspiracy theory, it's a meme as well. Where Charlie's the, like, Charlie Day? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah, like yeah, smoking yeah. and stuff okay. like that. So you have to look at Jackson State, then you got to look at Colorado, then Kent State's offense, then you track each player across the country where they transferred from, then you have to cross-reference the Colorado roster to see if they're still there. And then this name, Pepe Silva, keeps popping up. <laughs> okay, so that's what it's like trying to scout Colorado. I have no idea who plays on this team, except for their quarterback and Travis Hunter. Yep. That's I, it. I had to backtrack a lot of my information as I was taking notes because I started taking notes on the wrong teams from last <laughs> year. <laughs> because it does. It gets out of hand with um, you know, who they're bringing in as far as their coaching staff goes, as far as their players go. Um, this is a team that is just – it's so wide open um, that it, it's incredibly fascinating um, as because it's a rival. You, I think I look at it personally with a, a very tainted view, yeah. a very negative view, and I, and and I want to make fun of it. I want it to be bad. I want, to, I want it to fall apart. I want it to blow up in their faces. Um, but I, I've tried to dial that back, too, and try to look at things from more rational – point of view too oh buddy we're gonna <laughs> disagree on this then. <laughs> so um, where do you, you want to start like you said you got 28 minutes so how granular did you get with I've colorado pages man okay let's how many pages do you have by the way three i got i got four let's do it okay awesome i'll I start so. an offense okay okay That's sean lewis is our new offensive coordinator he was a head coach at yep. kent state Super for impressive the past resume. five years, great twenty four and thirty one record, mind blowing. It's amazing what you can do there at Kent State. Um, his his goal on offense is to wear out opposing defenses by playing fast. Yeah, just balls to the wall fast. Um, I think he was like sixth overall in the country at Kent State last year in terms of like how quickly they would just run plays. It was like twenty seconds in between plays. Um, so he knows how to go fast. He knows how to make offenses go fast. I don't think that he is as efficient as people think he is just based on like just the bare numbers um he did boost that program in terms of how many points they were putting out uh per game they went from you know 13 20 13 16 points a game before he got there to 24 29 33 28 points per game not including 2020 when he got there so he essentially doubled how many points they were scoring which sounds great um but if you look at like what he did against power five he was not effective um, they put 17, 7.7, 11, and 15 against their Power 5 opponents. Um, they, they didn't overperform. You know, they didn't, they didn't like, they weren't the, the uh, David versus Goliath type team that was really doing great things. It wasn't only until they got into conference play where, where it started to shine. And to me, that, that says that it was, a gim- it was kind of gimmicky. Right? He was, he was saying, hey, we're You're saying move. that Colorado hired something gimmicky? Not Colorado, Dion. Dion well, hired Colorado, a Colorado, and then it, it trickled down from there. 
Um, so he, he does rely on speed. They were, they're sixth fastest in FBS. They ran 75 plays a game, 24th in, in the country. Um, they only averaged just under six yards a play, which is 55th. So they were average there. But their points per play was 88th in the country at 0.337, and that's, that's a, an efficiency metric. Mm-hmm. And so we can look at all the other teams that went fast, right? Everybody that went faster than Kent State last year. It was, I remember Oklahoma, Tennessee, um, Texas Tech, I think Indiana was one of them, and, and somebody else, they probably don't matter, Ole Miss. Uh, they went 41st, 2nd, 111th, 54th, and 77th in terms of point per, points per play, so how efficient they were. And so Kent State was at the, at the lower end of that, that spectrum. Tennessee showed what you can do when you're fast and efficient. Um, Oklahoma kind of showed what you can do when you're just fast and average. Kent State is fast and not much. So I, I, he'll is have... Is my wife smiling? <laughs> <laughs> hey uh, That's a good one, everybody. <laughs> So he'll have an upgrade in terms of talent, but he's going to be facing tougher competition yeah. too. And so I think that those numbers will translate. I think they're going to try to move fast. I don't think they're going to be efficient. And I think they're at these altitudes that Colorado is playing at, they'll just as effectively gas their own defense as yeah. they will opposing defenses. So I didn't, uh, I didn't dive too far in uh, to Sean Lewis, and, and I feel good because I wasn't too impressed with what I saw from him, and I kind of just ignored it. Where I started to really dive in was looking um, – Mostly at, like, what is Colorado going to bank on? Um, and, and they're going to bank on the play of Shador Sanders, right? And, and Shador's not a bad quarterback. In fact, I think, I think some of the hype that he's getting is, is earned and deserved. When you look at what he did at Jackson State playing against like uh, competition with the rest of his team, he performed incredibly well. 70.49% completion percentage in 2022, only six interceptions in almost 500 attempts. Um, 40 passing touchdowns, six rushing touchdowns. He averaged three touchdowns through the air and 275 yards per game, right? And that's when he was well defended, well protected by his offensive line, uh, looked good, was able to sit in the pocket and deliver to some serious weapons um, that were at that, that SWAC level. Um, I, I'm worried for him, like genuinely concerned that I think that he is going to be um, injured very early because I don't like Colorado's offensive line. And this isn't me being a fan being like, oh, they're going to be tough. This is me being like, I don't think this is going to be a very good offensive line. And in order to be an efficient offense and to run speed and that sort of thing, you've got to protect your quarterback. You've got to give him time to make plays and you've got to give your playmakers time for plays to develop. If you look at Colorado's offensive line, on average, the 11 O linemen that they have on their roster right now uh, are six foot three and weigh 295 and they're uh, an average year of sophomores. Nebraska, by comparison, is actually three inches taller and, and, and 10 pounds heavier. They also brought in Bill O'Boyle from Kent State. So you're not only bringing in an inefficient offensive coordinator, you're bringing in his offensive line coach. When you look at Colorado's unit, they gave up 23 sacks last year. Okay, I promise I'm getting to a point with yeah. all these numbers. Can I pause the live show? Yeah, I mean, do you have to go to the bathroom or something? I've got one kidney. And I really do. Can you regale the audience with your stats? While oh, I go? my God. Yes. Go to the bathroom. You know what? I, I know what I'm going to do. Hey, Ezra, did you order a root beer? Get up here. Not this root beer? Did you order one here? You didn't order a root beer. All right. So the backstory is that you're a big fan of root beer. Right? Come on up. 
Come on up. I know you wanted to be on the show. Get on up here. Everyone, give a hand for Ezra. <laughs> Throw those on, bud. How are you doing? Are you having fun? Yeah. I noticed that you guys have coloring books on the stage, mm -hmm. and you're coloring while we're up here, so you must yeah. be just having so much fun. <laughs> so you are a self-professed -pro root beer expert. Is that right? Yes. Okay. So do you go around to, like, different brew? Does your dad make you go to these bars and you drink root beer? Yeah. He does. Okay, good. I'm glad that that's your answer. Where where have you found your favorite root beer? So I've gotten so I've had two A and W and then Monocles. Okay. Monocles, I rated a nine point fifty three. Whoa, <laughs> very specific. So mm -hmm. uh, what what did you rate A and Ws? Do you remember? Um, no, I do not. Okay, so um, so what what about uh, the Monocles? You said. Is it, I'm assuming out of 10, monolithic? Mm -hmm. monolithic? Monolithic. Okay. Monolithic is a very good brewery, so I'm sure they make great root beer. What about their root yes. beer made it your favorite? So um, I love how they just have like a really nice cup. Okay. Like a really nice cup. They also have great straws too. Are and so it's just like really sweet and nice. Okay. And it just gives the taste... Same with like the bubbles, just okay. you can feel it tingling on your tongue. Ooh, that's some good descriptions on there. So you, are you a, do you like ice in your root beer or do you take it just without ice? Usually I would take it with or without ice. Okay. I would say both. Okay. But you would give your, your absolute endorsement to, to Monolithic's root beer. You're, you say that's the best one when your dad forces you to go to breweries with him. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. So I hear they've got good root beer here. I hope you give it, get a chance to give it a try. I don't know if it's, is it too late to try? Your mom says it's not too late to try the root beer that they have here at Hill Varsity. So get a glass and you got to give that one a go too. But um, we've got good friends at Monolithic who've been very kind to us and let us uh, bother them with some interview questions and stuff like that. So they're going to be glad to know that you like the root beer. All right. Awesome. Thanks so much, Ezra. That's yeah. awesome. So real quick, just breaking into this episode real fast. Ezra, you've had a chance now to try Hell Varsity's root beer, which happens to be Barks. Can you give your review on it, please? I'm going to say it would be a solid 9.3. A very solid 9.3. What do you like about the Barks? Um, something that I really like is just all the bubbles. I can just, I just like feel my tongue melting. Ooh, I like this. Fellow bubble boy, I also like bubbles in my drinks. Awesome. So... How does this rank? You know, you had monolithic at uh, 9.53, and then you have this at a 9.3. So is this above A&W? Yes. Yes. Very cool. Thank you so much, Ezra. <laughs> you are so fucking fired, man. He's way better. <laughs> it's all good. Sorry, Kathy. I mean, you should be. I raised him. Well, your wife is also a saint, so. She does all she, right. She gets She's most of the credit. <laughs> She should get all the credit. I got to go through all right. these numbers again. What were we talking about? We were talking Colorado. about Colorado's offensive line Their and Shador Sanders. Line. Here's what I want to say. Yes. Okay, last year Colorado's 1-11 team gave up 23 sacks. Not a great number. Jackson State gave up 18 sacks. Kent State gave up 26. So not only did they get rid of an offensive line coach that was already working with Shador, that was already working with Dion, and already had that relationship built, and also, did they fire the Colorado coach who had fewer sacks? They brought in the, the third option, which is the guy who had the most sacks out of the three. I'm just concerned that Shador's not going to make it all the way through, and what they're banking on his success to lead this team and kind of being that guy 
that really anchors this offense. If he doesn't stay healthy, I don't see success here. Yeah, and it's a, it, that's a high-wire act because, like you said, he's, he's very talented as a player, and I don't, yeah. I, you can't deny that even as a, as a rival fan, right? Um, they've got no depth behind him. And you and I'm I, you can't speculate on you know who's going to be injured or, or you know what's going to happen. I just did. Uh, <laughs> I 100 can't, can't percent know what's you can't know what's going to happen, but you can know that those things do happen. Right. And that if it were to happen, that that yeah, I don't know what Colorado does at quarterback if they if they're to lose him for any amount of time. Um, you know they 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 did bring back a couple guys on that offensive line. Um, which is amazing that they brought anybody back at all on this team um, in, in Van Wells at center. Uh, but he was a true freshman. Um, and then and Gerard Christian Lichtenhan is a mountain of a man, as he should be with that name, right? Yeah. He's 6'10", 315. But then, yeah, after that, um, you know, they lost a couple of guys who've gone on to other Power 5 schools who will probably start at those schools, Um and that's that's a combined fifty two starts from those guys, um, and that's just valuable experience. And then the, the people that they brought in, um, you know, just they don't they don't have proven ability at this level, and they don't have the depth at this level to sustain a season where you can feel confident um, again in, in keeping a quarterback upright. And so that's yeah, that's a good point. And that's that's my biggest concern is like what happens to if if they lose Shadur Sanders. It almost like you sounded like you said shitter Sanders. <laughs> and That's his new name. That's what we're calling him for the rest of this uh, podcast. I'm cocky, but I'm not that cocky. <laughs> what, I, what I do like, though, I mean, the, the guy's six foot two. Um, he weighs over 200 pounds. If if he does get tired of getting sacked, he could move to Colorado's offensive line. He's about their size, <laughs> so he's got a future in in a bunch of different positions on this team. Whether or not he's healthy at quarterback or not, if he's like you guys get back. Also, there. his dad's the coach. Lichtenstein so can get the... back there and whip the ball around. Um, so moving away, you know, from talking about Shador and the offensive line, um, what do we think about some of the uh, skill positions that Colorado has uh, at their disposal? I mean, I know there's one big name uh, in Travis Hunter that's mm-hmm. questionable what, what side the ball he's going to play on, both sides, what have you. I think it would be both for you him. You think so? I really do. I it's, think they're going to need him on the defense, to be honest. Well, they'll use him. I think they'll use him on both sides. I think that the part of, you know, bringing him along was with the expectation that he would be on both sides. And he's, he's a talented enough guy that he could do it. It's rare, he's right? Very tiny. <laughs> I think he can do it. I think, I think that he's probably a better defensive player than he is offensive. But I, again, this is all of this feels so like wild and weird and gimmicky to me that I, I honestly believe that they're going to, they're going to let him just play both sides of the ball. Um, I don't know how he's going to hold up, but the way that they talk about him is that, He's, he's good enough. He knows the playbook well enough. He's got the stamina and the ability. He's going to do it. He's going to play both sides. And they think that he can be great on both sides. But, Drew, he's so tiny. <laughs> he weighs 165 pounds. He's gonna, he might get lit up. He might, yeah. But he's so tiny. Maybe talk to the coaches and tell them that. You could pay me $5.9 million, and I'd be able to like, be like, you're tiny. <laughs> Um, other guys, though, that they that they brought in one of the one of the ones that I like that I think um, if he comes back and he shakes off the rust, Alton McCaskill, he's a he's a running back. He comes from Houston. He was out last year uh, with a knee injury, um, but as a freshman, he he had 844 yards and 16 touchdowns at Houston. Um, I think he can be a guy that they can lean on when it comes to protecting 
your quarterback not needing to rely on a 165-pound uh, Wandell Robinson type <laughs> player. Um, you've got you've got running backs, and actually got multiple of them. Uh, Kav- Kav- I can't say his name. Cavoisey Smoke. Yeah, Smoke yeah. from Kentucky, and then Sevion Wilkerson from Jackson State. He's familiar with Deion Sanders and and uh, a little bit of this offense, maybe what they want to do. They've got some running backs, I think, that are going to be able to do some work, and I think that McCaskill is going to be the lead guy that they can lean on in those situations to take some of the pressure away from Sanders. So you see him. I actually do see Cavoisey Smoke as as the guy who's going to be their cowbell. I mean, there's there's not a whole lot of running back options on this team. I think they have about, uh, what is it, two running backs and like three tailbacks on their roster. To me, it feels like Bull Durham, right, where you've got a veteran and you've got a young guy in Dylan Edwards, uh, who they brought in from Kansas in his, in his uh, he's going to be in his freshman year. Um, there's a guy there who rushed 622 times for 6,400 yards in his high school, final high school season. Um, I see him actually getting an opportunity to break through. So, the running back room, I think, is okay in Colorado. I think if they can you know, get through this offensive line and, and get some good blocks, I think they're going to have some guys back there. Again, I don't have the confidence in this offensive line, and I don't think they're going to gel by week two, uh, having to take on TCU before they take on Nebraska, who's, you know... A, Better than TCU. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I was trying to give a compliment no. to TCU, but you... It's hard. You know. It's hard to do. <laughs> That, that said, I, I feel like Colorado has um, some, some primary options at running back, but I, I don't know that they necessarily have a room where they're going to be able to experiment and figure out who's their guy. I think they're banking on those three guys being their guys. Uh, but they do have a lot of wide receiver talent. I expect the run game, actually, to get away from the offensive line and be more of a wide receiver screen. Um, I see a lot of sins of Nebraska's past being how Colorado tries to implement their offense, trying to be that quick strike, that wide receiver screen, get the ball to our playmakers in space real quick, um, which I, I don't know how successful that's going to be coming up against the buzzsaw that is, you know, TCU who had a really strong defense last year, and then hopefully the way that Nebraska's defense expects to perform out of the gate under Tony White's, you know, defensive scheme. So I, I'm, I'm not overly confident in the longevity. I think they will be a good quick strike offense um, for as long as Shitter Sanders is, is healthy. Um, <laughs> But, but as far as, like, this goes, the Pac-12 is looking like a pretty decent um, schedule, seeing as how half of those teams are going to be Big Ten teams and the other half is going to be who knows next year. Like They're the best conference that nobody's watching. Yeah. I'm asleep by then. I am, too. I'm snoozy. Yeah. I'm snoozy after big noon kickoff, but mostly because I've been drinking too much. So, yeah. Yeah, that's because of those. Yeah. So, any other thoughts when it comes to Colorado's offense? I mean, where, where, where do you, how do you feel they match up, I guess I should say, against Nebraska's defense? We should probably hone in on that. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. Like, do you feel that way because they went no offensive lineman and no defensive lineman halfway through their spring <laughs> game? Is that why you question what they're doing? Or is it because there's just so many moving parts that it's really hard to narrow down what Sean Lewis is going to run, what Dion wants? There's just yeah. There's too there's too much going on there. There's too much there's too much unknown that, that it's it's impossible to predict. I think they're gonna try to run it through Sanders. That's that's about all I know. I think he's the only like true given player um, who's gonna be there when Nebraska faces him, and they're gonna try to see what he does. I I think that um, Sean Lewis has shown an ability to navigate away from relying on the quarterback run game, and I think that actually helps him a lot because Sanders is almost a pure passer. He's not a very mobile guy. He hasn't shown any propensity to run the ball. And so I think that it's going to be 
driven largely through through him throwing. But again, I, the the best collection of players I think that they have on this team is their running backs. Yeah. And so, and and with their offensive line being such a question mark, do you really want to be having Sanders dropping back and passing and taking hits all the time? Wouldn't you want a linear run game? And so it's just this like weird conglomerate of all these unknowns for me um, that's just impossible to predict. So That goes so well for an episode where if, we're where we're predicting. To predict. Okay, yeah. if I'm going to give my honest prediction, uh, I think we're going to fuck them up. I think we're going to ruin them. <laughs> there you go. I, I think, like the sound I think of that. our defense is going to be great, and their offense is going to be a disaster, and we're going to send home all 12 Colorado fans who go to the game unhappy. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So what about this defense? How do you – How do you? I, I should maybe get out front. I'm kind of – Sneaky worried about their defense. Okay. Is that fair? I think that's okay. Is that fair? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sneaky worried about this team in general, but again, it's just like the unknown. I think it's just fear of unknown and not really knowing what to expect. Um, I think the defense has had just as much of an overhaul as the offense, and I think the biggest part of it has come up front on the defensive line, and we've talked about, about this before where if you're, when you're establishing your defense, you want your defensive line to be that known commodity, sure. that, that thing that you can rely on because that's where everything starts. And they've had 13 new defensive linemen transfer in <laughs> into this program, um, and, I, and they only return, I think, like one guy. But that one guy went 1-11. So how good was he, you know? <laughs> the, the thing that concerns me is, is actually their defensive coordinator hire. I think Charles Kelly was the best hire that Deion Sanders made. Yeah. You know, he was a co-defensive coordinator at Alabama last year. Uh, his stint before that was the primary defensive coordinator at Florida State. Um, he was an assistant when Florida State won the national championship. So he's got some championship-level experience under his, uh, uh, under his belly. And, and, you know, Colorado's defense in 2022 was abysmal. I mean, we're talking Louisiana Tech level. Right, they were giving up forty-four and a half points per game. They were giving up over five hundred yards, on average, over five hundred yards uh, through the air and on the ground per game, uh, with a negative eleven turnover margin. Um, but when it comes to Charles Kelly, everywhere he's been has been somewhere around that twenty points per game mark, only giving up one hundred and thirty yards on the ground and about two hundred yards in the air. And so he makes a significant impact everywhere he goes on the defensive side of the ball. And when you're in a situation where maybe the, the coach is less of a coach and more of a figurehead, and I'm not trying to point fingers at Colorado, I'm just saying in a world where that is, yeah, I'm pointing fingers yeah. like mad. Uh, we've experienced that as well sometimes where we're just not quite sure what's the coach you know, really doing. This is a situation where a good hire can go a long way, and I think that this is a good hire. I don't think that he's going to be able to implement that right away with 13 transfers, with a bunch of new defensive linemen, and with – with a cornerback who's, you know, playing double duty on both sides of the ball, with a linebacker core where there's a lot of questions. But I do think that over time, he's actually going to solidify this as a pretty decent defense. They're going to start to bring in guys who look at that resume and go, that's who I know can develop me and get me to the next level. And that's kind of the dream that Dion's selling, right? It's less about the team, and it's more about I can get you where you want to go. And so I don't know that wins and losses are going to matter so much for Colorado as a team for maybe a coaching perspective because they're going to be all about bringing guys in and they're going to be all about you know getting to that next level and all about what I can do for you you know take take for instance uh Shador Sanders buying a Maybach you know a $200,000 car posting that on social media instead of our guys posting workout videos and showing what they're doing in the off season you know there's a difference between what each program is trying to present 
but, but Charles Kelly to me is the outlier there, that they're actually trying to maybe build something on that defensive side of the ball. You don't necessarily leave Alabama as a co-defensive coordinator to go somewhere else if you don't think you can do something. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and I've listened to him, to him speak, Charles Kelly, and, and he seems like he is a genuinely good coach. I thought it was odd that he chose to leave Alabama. It feels like a huge mistake It seems on his weird. part. He seems fully bought into what Deion Sanders is selling, which, again, I'm, I'm trying to just separate that from my bias and, and see, like, what is he seeing in this that I'm not seeing? Like, how, is, how does he, he view this as a step up? I have no idea. Um, to me, it, it's a red flag as far as Charles Kelly is concerned. Um, but he, he has been a, a coach that has stuck in the South his entire career. And he's found incredible success there, right? Like, he's, they have won championships. Um, but that's where he has resided. And so now that he's 1,500 miles away from the barrel, how is he going to shoot the fish is what I want to know. Um, it, and, and so, th- yeah, him coming there, like, I think it could be good, but I also think that um, he could be just a good coach leaving a good situation for a bad one. And, and we might see that all come to fruition, I hope. That's, a real, that's almost more <laughs> sad than a dog dying. I, I, he, well, almost, but it's not. You have the worst moment of the show. Um, he's, he's inheriting a mess. Like, he's leaving, like, the most polished, well-organized institution in college football that has such incredible longevity under Nick Saban and going to, to Deion Sanders, who um, is primarily, you know, unproven and, and some would say, I would say, pledged, just has this ego about him that's <laughs> it is so opposite of Nick Saban. It's 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 it is very Scott Frosty, and we know how that worked out. Who? So um, my mom throwing a haymaker from the <laughs> from the background. There we go. So he's he he has his work cut out for him. Yeah, and you and you can say it's because he was, he's working with the worst off, or the worst defense um, from last year, but he's not. He's working with just a smorgasbord of of new players from all over the country. Sure. Um, He's, he's brought in talent. He brought in Demui Kennedy from Alabama, um, who, is, who is rated as the number eight overall linebacker in the portal. Um, he's got Levante Bentley, who's from Clemson, another linebacker, so he can shore up the, the middle of the field. Again, he's going to have to figure out what's going on with his D-line. They're going to have to try to rotate guys through. Um, their secondary is a mess, but incredibly talented, just unproven talent. It's just I don't know, man. It's again. It's just a. It's a question to me, and I and I have all this information in front of me, and I don't know what to make of it. Yeah, I. I, I mean, I feel that right. So it's like, what what are we really able to latch onto? And 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 I think the big question is how fast can these guys meld? Because there was no doubt that that Dion could bring in talent, but you know, you talk about all those players coming in. Um, Nebraska has 60, 60, 60 defensive players on their roster. Do you want to guess how many defensive players Colorado currently has on their roster? 37. 31. Well, yikes. Right. So there is a minimal number of guys right now where the rotations are just not going to be there. Colorado's probably going to get off to some pretty hot starts defensively, and, and Shador's going to have the ball in his hands early in games to try and separate. But right now, Colorado's defense just doesn't have the firepower to keep up with these Power 5 programs that they're going to go against week after week after week. But I think as time progresses, as 
um, seasons progress and if Dion is, you know, having success and kind of building the team he wants to build, I do think that defensively that's what Colorado is going to be able to hang their hat on because I think Kent State is a horrible hire, but Alabama is one where you go, they've got something, and the numbers prove that, right? The numbers year after year show um, that, that they're going to get it done. Yeah. Well, and that makes sense to, like, lead with defense forward, you know, thinking as far as, like, turning an entire program around. Um, and that's kind of what Colorado has been based on is, is being that defensive team when they were successful in the 80s and 90s. And so, like, again, like, I can I, – I, I hate this whole situation, but and I love it at the same time. I want to see it fail so badly, um, but I can see all these little pieces coming together where it does work, where – um, where Kelly brings this defense together, where they just essentially wreck college football, as far as we understand it, by flipping a roster, um, bringing in all these wild card sort of like hires, and um, and going against what what Matt Rule is doing at Nebraska, where it's almost this more like methodical, um, you know, based on wisdom and experience type of flipping a roster and like saying, hey, we're going to build it out over these years. Yeah. And Deion Sanders is saying, oh, we can do it like that because the rules around football have changed and because um, if you're the right coach in the right situation, you can bring in enough talent and, and time essentially just melts away and it doesn't matter. Sure. Um, and I, I don't believe that. You know, I want Matt Rule to be correct. Um, Okay. Yeah. I want him to be correct too, if it makes you feel any better. <laughs> I'm on your side here. That's good. Literally like it, yeah. and figuratively. We're on the same side of a table for a change. Instead of a card table in my basement, we're in an equally empty room. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any thoughts on, on special teams when it comes to Colorado? Uh, yeah, I thought it was funny that even their kicker transferred out of the program. <laughs> This dude was, he was fine. Like, he was successful there. And he, he said, I'm in Colorado. I'm at the third highest altitude in all of college football where you can just boot it like you're on the moon. But I've had enough, and I'm getting out. And so he left. Um, they, brought, they brought another Jackson State guy in to replace him at kicker. Yeah, Alejandro their, Mata. Yeah, that's Great a name. name, right? Uh, their punter, Mark uh, Bassett, out of Louisville, is actually a good, a good punter. Um, oh yeah, he's gonna hit moonshots. I think he really. That's they're gonna have a good punt game in Colorado. Not just that, but like he's he put thirty six out of his hundred punts inside the twenty at Louisville. Like he's got a very high percentage of of being an accurate kicker who pins teams deep, and so he can be a weapon for them. You put me on my thirty, um, I could do those numbers. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then Jace Feely, who probably won't have any sort of say in it, but he's got a name. What does he do? He's, just <laughs> he's a kicker. He's, he's oh, got I thought you were just name. naming a guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's All right. the son of Jake Feely. Well, you mentioned the stuff I was going to mention about, uh, about the special teams. Um, you know, uh, I, I, think, I think it's only fair for us to do what we did in the third episode coming out in, like, time, like we've talked about plenty of times already. This season is an illusion, and it's a circle, and we don't need to bore everyone with this. Uh, do you want to be Colorado or Nebraska? Nebraska always. Okay. okay. So on three, you give Nebraska's score, and I'll give Colorado's score. And then that'll be our too early prediction okay. for this game. All right? Okay. Are you, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. One, two, three. A number Six. so big, Deion Sanders is fired. <laughs> <laughs> I think we got it in the bag. That's good. All baby. right. Yeah, we did it. All right. I love that. Okay. Any other thoughts on Colorado or any of these non-con teams that we are going to be taking on? No, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous about all of them. Um, 
I think Colorado is hands down like the most interesting game to look forward to because of just the the wildness of of what's going on there. And I'm I'm really genuinely interested to see just what they do on the on the season as a whole and how they can potentially reshape the way that that people view college football. You know what? That does it, Drew, I think, for this week. What do you say? Yeah, let's end it. All right. We want to thank everyone who tuned into this week's episode. If you have anyone who you think would enjoy a listen, we would truly appreciate your recommendation. Don't forget to follow us on social media at wannabewalkons and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Remember to do your part. Drink local beer wherever you are. You can find more information on Kincader Brewing Company by visiting their website at kincader.com. All those hard cuh sounds are K's. <laughs> if you have any breweries you'd like us to sample on the show, visit wannabewalkons.com to submit your recommendation. Usually at this point of the outro, we say to tune in next week for what's next. But for those of you at the live show, episode one of the 2023 football season drops tomorrow, July 25th. And for those of you listening to this episode in the future... Join us next week, August 8th, for our preview of Nebraska's Big Ten East opponents and a sampling of cider from Papa Moon in Scotts Bluff, Nebraska. (laughs) Thanks for listening and for joining us live. And remember, drink Big Red. Drink Big Red. Sports Network Production.